So yeah, there's a lot of brouhaha about that the rapper Little Nas X, I believe his name is, Candace Owens was uh, talking about him a few days ago, and uh, Nicole Arbor, and uh, he's, you know, this young rapper who is selling Satan shoes, and these Satan shoes have a drop of human blood and a pentagram, and there's 666 of them out available and then he's in a music video where he's you know basically getting buggered by the devil like he's uh he's a demon a little imp you know and he's lap dancing for satan and you know it's like so funny because there's a lot of uh, you know gay little leftists out there that seem to think that this is uh empowering but it's it's just so there's no boundaries being broken by having a gay uh, man being portrayed as, you know, a devil or a demon or a Satanist. I mean, that's as cliche as it gets. Um, I mean, for heaven's sakes, I mean, back back in the 80s when I was a little kid, uh, I remember at the start of the AIDS, you know, epidemic, and, you know, all these adults were dying, and I was seeing it on the news, and growing up in the prairies, growing up in Saskatchewan, and you would just hear from all the religious right that it was God's punishment uh, against homosexuality and that all gays were, all gay men were going to, you know, you know, rot in hell once they died. I mean, I remember being a little kid and just being terrified about hearing this. Um, and can you imagine, like, being a little kid and thinking because you're gay that that's a, that automatically makes you, um, you know, cursed to live a hellish existence? And so, you know, then you have this little Nas X who's, you know, acting as though he's reclaiming this part of him and rejoicing. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's... It's so ridiculous. I mean, what when what what, what are kids going to think? Gay kids, kids who know, who know that they're gay and who may come from Christian or spiritual backgrounds, what are they going to think when they see that? Are they going to celebrate or are they going to be, you know, horrified at the idea that they, you know, that they're going to have this life grow into life as a as a man, as an adult, live a life then die and then go to hell and, you know, get buggered by the devil. <laughs> you know, it's like so, it's so ridiculous. Um, so, I mean, there was nothing new. It wasn't breaking boundaries. And the fact that, you know, anybody would think that it was breaking boundaries is um, yeah, hilarious. Uh, there's really nothing new about implementing pagan and Dionysian uh, symbols and imagery and lifestyle into um, the gay culture, the gay experience and gay imagery. Um, it's it's all very uh, predictable. Uh, I would be m- more interested in seeing something that really breaks boundaries where um, gay men are depicted as, you know, divine creatures, creatures of divinity creatures that are imbued with the spirit of God. However you may view God, whether that be Christian or 
um, you know, Hindu or, uh, you know, Jewish or, or, you know, in a Buddhist perspective or in a New Age perspective. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of fairy tales and mythologies where you can pretty much zero in on who the gay characters are, even if it's not said that they're gay. And what I mean by that is they all have an otherworldly context and they'll be, they will uh, inherit the archetype of the donor. And the donor in all world mythology is, you know, the talking animal or the, the old monk or um, the fairy godmother. And those characters, those otherworldly characters are the aides and uh, helpers and, you know, wisdom keepers uh, that dispense help and wisdom to the heroes or, or heroines on their journey. You know, which most of the time are, would be, you know, be portrayed as heterosexual men and women. Um, not all the time, but that's sort of the general idea. It's not that we can't break out of, you know, that the archetype of the donor. Uh, I remember I used to teach creative writing in Bangkok, and I had this one... Um, student and she was an adult student all my other most of the kids that I taught were Japanese kids and because uh, I was in a Japanese district called the Tonglor district there was one um, adult woman and she was from Cambodia she was a Cambodian woman and she had met uh, a um, met somebody and met uh, Falong a white you know foreigner who was living in Thailand I'm assuming they probably met uh, the way a lot of uh, white foreigners and, um, you know, poor, poor women in uh, Cambodia would meet. Uh, probably, she was probably a bar girl. It's a safe assumption. Uh, and they found each other and they found love. And he moved, sent her to live in Thailand with him and he wanted her to learn English and she had said something to me about the I, about this whole sort of archetype of the donor which is in relation to what I'm getting here is that she said that when she was young and she lived in the village um, in this village it was she was just a little girl during the reign of the Khmer Rouge and her her mother and her grandmother were secretly teaching her the dance of the Aspera and an Aspera in Southeast Asian mythology is um, like a fairy um, a fairy that lives sort of on the, the lower parts of uh, Mount Maru where at the top top part of the mountain you would find the gods and the deities and Buddha and the Hindu gods but she was being taught the the dance of the Aspera and um, everyone around uh, in the village started to get a little jealous about the fact that this young girl could dance the dance of the Aspera and the Khmer Rouge had outlawed um, any sort of spiritual expressions uh, amongst 
so many other things that involved thinking and and expressing oneself spiritually or cognitively. And they reported her. And so in order to save themselves, her mother and her grandmother uh, took her to uh, another village and they moved. And she had said that she had, when she was an adult, that she had suddenly um, developed a sixth sense, which was uh, she had the ability to read other people psychically um, through the aid of her um, father who had died. And so he was visiting her in his, in her dreams. And so she would make a living you know, this was, I believe, after the right at the end of the Khmer Rouge, at the the end of their the their reign, and and uh, so people would come see her, and they'd pay money, and her the ghost of her father would tell her tell her things about um, her, you know, her guest, her paying customer, and she would relay that those messages. And after a while, she said, "You know, I'm really tired of doing this. Um, I." Because I know that what I really want is to find, um, is to marry and to live a domestic life, uh, a life of you know uh, I want to have a husband, uh, have children, and there is an understanding in, in the Cambodian um, culture that if you have that gift, that otherworldly gift, that you're just not really designed to live a common everyday life. Um, you're not meant to really get married, settle down, have kids, take root. Well, so she talked to the spirit of her father and she said, look, I really want to get married. So why don't you, um, why don't you give my gift to my brother, you know, to my brother? And, uh, she kind of implied that he wasn't planning on getting married anyway, wank, wank, like he was probably, you know, gay. And so he said, okay, I will um, catch you on the flip side. And he left. And she she no longer uh, carried that gift with her. And shortly thereafter, she met the man that would be her husband. And so, you know, I love this story because it makes me think about the concept of the donor in this otherworldly sort of uh, aura and personality that a lot of uh, us in the LGBT community have. You know, I mean, for example, the way we call ourselves fairies or whatnot. And, um, you know, I mean, that's sort of like a traditional uh, classic perspective of what we have been throughout history in in a positive way. And now, of course, we have the right to marry and we get married and stuff like that. And that's all fantastic, too. Um, I don't think all of us are designed to be otherworldly or donors. Most certainly not. Some of us just want to be men, man. Men and just regular guys and, you know, maybe marry, you know, another dude and get a dog, maybe adopt, get a truck, whatever, just live a normal life. But when it comes to like, you know, gay men entering the creative, you know, cultural realm, they're going to venture into 
otherworldly archetypes. And so when they venture into otherworldly archetypes like that are pagan oriented or satanic, you know, satyrs or horned little devils and sexual imps. I mean, that's so cliche. I would really like to see us push boundaries. And um, I mean, where are these gay men in our modern mythologies that are like Otherian knights or samurai warriors or, you know, strong sort of Orisha characters. I mean, uh, men that are interested in self-sacrifice and duty to the community at all, at in, in in its entirety, not and certainly not just the gay community. I mean, the community, the straight community, the community that is their town, their city, um, where I mean, why can't we have these sort of characters in our culture, where you know the men are imbued with the divine? You know, these shining knights or these sort of exalted uh, divine creatures and divine men as opposed to horny little devils that are, you know, going to, you know, give Satan a lap dance. I mean, when I when I was a kid and I grew up and, you know, I was watching all these adults, you know, dying of AIDS and... It was just sort of like this talk amongst the religious right that that was God's punishment for being gay. I mean, I th- I was terrified. I thought, my God, like, is this what I'm headed for? I'm just going to like, you know, I'm just going to grow up and, you know, you know, die terrible disease and then go to hell. It was terrifying. I mean... <laughs> It's crazy. So, I mean, really, the the same sort of ideas are being perpetuated now, but now they're being perpetuated by gay men. But this time they're like pretending it's empowering. Well, it's not very, it doesn't seem very empowering. I don't think there's anything very empowering about giving someone a lap dance. It seems pretty easy, you know? I mean, I think, you know, any man who takes off his shirt is going to get, you know, instant likes. It's not that hard. And uh, so I think the idea of celebrating the Dionysian in us is a bit cliche, and I'd like to see uh, the more Apollonian aspects come out in the gay in the gay culture, which is something that you know the Apollonian doesn't really exist on the left too terribly much, except for the fact that you have men that go to the gym and chisel up. But I mean, what about you know what about uh, patience and? self-discipline and hard work and uh, humility Um, these are the things that I consider more you know Apollonian and uh, majestic Um, anyways those are some of my thoughts right now for this uh, podcast I guess the theme is really you know angels and demons um angels and demons and donors and fairies and psychics and otherworldly beings and and men um thanks for joining me and uh yeah have a good one